Hello, and welcome to the Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists. I'm your host, Raina Andrews. And for those of you who are new to the show, I'm a mother, a children's book author, a public health ambassador, an engaged community member. I will be your host for the 2023 Coffee Conversations with Scientists series. So since early in 2021, we have been sharing the science behind today's most important health topics. Coffee Conversations is brought to you by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment, which is a statewide nonprofit working to improve health and advance health equity in Wisconsin. So today we are discussing the science behind seasonal respiratory illness, <coughs> right? Tis the season. So we're joined by a very special guest, someone who I've worked with over the years. We've served on the Cancer Center Community Advisory Board together as co-chairs. My son and I have run into him at, at our pediatric appointments. He is a friend of the community, professor of community health and pediatrics, and the director of the Institute for Health and Equity with the Medical College of Wisconsin. Our guest today is no other than Dr. John Moyer. Now, before I bring Dr. Moyer on, he is the co-principal investigator of Fight COVID Milwaukee. It's an epidemiology research project funded by the National Institutes for Health. He cares for pediatric patients as the Children's Wisconsin Midtown Health Center. Welcome, Dr. Moyer. I'm so, so excited to be hosting the first episode of Coffee Conversations with Scientists with you as my first guest. So welcome. Thank you, Rana. I'm deeply honored. It's really going to be wonderful to share with your audience. Thank you. So those out there in the interwebs, I want you to know that we will be covering a great list of questions regarding the science behind seasonal respiratory illness. And I encourage all of you watching to drop any questions you have on the topic into the comments, okay? Because we'll be getting to you as, as many of you as possible today and to get your questions answered. All right. Are we ready to get into it, Dr. Moyer? Yep, let's go. So great. I, I did this, <laughs> this this cough because it seems like this is the season. So can you help our audience understand what is seasonal respiratory illness and how do we know if we're experiencing the, the triple dynamic? I mean, is it COVID? Is it influenza? Is it RSV? What is it? Yeah, thanks, Raina. Um, seasonal respiratory uh, illnesses are viral infections like influenza, RSV, and COVID that you mentioned. And they're most common in the colder winter months when people are hunkered down indoors more often. So because we're indoors, less ventilation, closer together, it's easier to spread those infections among one another. Those viral infections all cause runny nose, congestion, sore throat, and a cough. <coughs> Some common cold viruses and infections are more common in the summer, the seasonal aspect. Those are enteroviruses and adenoviruses, and they cause very similar symptoms at different time of the year. Public health agencies and healthcare systems monitor the occurrence of these infections from laboratory tests on people who have those symptoms. So with people having respiratory issues in the winter, in the spring, in the summer, making it seasonal respiratory illness, what do you expect it to get? Why, why would we experience COVID influenza and RSV more so in the winter months? 
certain viruses uh, spread more readily in the wintertime than in the summertime. And so those classic, that triple demic that we've been going through starting in the fall um, and worsening in the winter is a spike that we see seasonally, historically for RSV and influenza, and of course, in the past few years with COVID. Mm -hmm. And so with this being indoors with COVID, but yet separating, is that why we haven't seen influenza and RSV as high as we are experiencing it now? We had a really big spike of RSV in the uh, late summer, early fall, earlier than we typically see and much more severe than in previous years. Mm -hmm. And we suspect that it was much worse because babies who typically are exposed to RSV uh, in the fall, in their first year or two of life, were less likely to get exposed when we were locked down, wearing masks, and being very protective in 2020 and 2021. So in 2022, it was one of the worst RSV seasons, and we had a few hundred children uh, with RSV coming into our Children's Wisconsin Emergency Department every day. Now, I've known of parents whose children have gotten RSV, and then the parents also got sick. How how does that spread? How contagious is it? Um, RSV, influenza, COVID are all very contagious. They're spread through coughing and sneezing, you know, respiratory droplets that are in the air. That's why wearing a mask reduces our breathing that in. Mm -hmm. Wearing a mask prevents you from spreading it to others. So when people are dual masks, that's a really good protection. Mm -hmm. Being in a well-ventilated open space is good. So that's why really crowded spaces with poor ventilation are greater risk for people to acquire those respiratory infections. Mm -hmm. So how prevalent is COVID and influenza now? Uh, their prevalence has been going down a bit. Mm -hmm. Um and I could show you a little chart that might be, uh, well, let me say that uh, we had a really high spikes, of course, in the spring of 2020 for COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after the vaccines, we started to see things go down. Um, a spike with Delta in the summer of last year. And then, of course, the spring of this past year with Omicron was the biggest surge by far. Wow. And lots of people who uh, had been dodging it got it. If folks had vaccines that provided helpful protection, a quicker response to those COVID infections, if they didn't, if they were older or had chronic conditions, they were more vulnerable and might end up in the hospital. And that continues to be the challenge today. In Milwaukee County, we're at medium risk for COVID because the level of hospitalizations is kind of high, medium level, but the case rate is relatively low and the percent of people in hospitals with COVID is also relatively low. Influenza was pretty severe in the fall, higher than we typically see early, but now it's tapered down. And in the Milwaukee and Wisconsin area, we're actually at low levels of influenza. In both cases though, the vaccines for COVID and influenza are effective and safe. Mm -hmm. And so help me understand, what does RSV actually stand for? RSV is respiratory syncytial virus. 
Okay. RSV is way easier than that. (laughs) (laughs) And so are you saying that the reason why influenza is seemingly higher than it has been the last two years is because people aren't wearing as many masks as they used to, and they're not um, kind of separating themselves as they used to during COVID. Yeah. You know, if you think back uh, 2020, folks were isolated, not going out, uncertain, and then uh, wearing masks was more common. And as folks have felt more comfortable um, with vaccine protection, having had the infection, familiarity with how to be safe, we see less masks in public places than we did one or two years ago. And as a consequence, these seasonal respiratory viruses are more easily spread uh, mm-hmm. as we feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Did you have a chart that you're going to show or? Sure, I can share something uh, about how the the health departments track COVID and report it. So on the screen is data that comes from Milwaukee County and the health departments, municipal health departments in the county gather information and track this. And the CDC recommends that we monitor every week or so, what's the level of COVID in our community and respond accordingly. So you can see right now we're at a medium community level and that's because hospital admissions per 100,000 are at a medium level. They've been there since October. But by contrast, COVID cases per 100,000 drop below the medium level into the lower level in the middle of the summer, around August. And COVID inpatient bed utilization has stayed pretty low uh, since the spring. Mm. So that's the the way that uh, health departments can report what's your relative risk of being exposed if you go out to a grocery store, to a restaurant, to a a sports event, to a church or synagogue or temple. And if you are traveling somewhere else or live somewhere outside of Milwaukee County, you can go to the CDC website listed here and you can enter your state and county and it will report the level of prevalence of the COVID virus in your community and then give you advice uh, how to stay up on vaccines, being in ventilated places, how to isolate if you get infected, what to do if you're exposed, et cetera. And one other thing that I wanted to share is uh, influenza is tracked in a similar way. This is a map from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that shows the level of influenza by state using a color coding. So you can see that uh, Texas, for example, is at a moderate level but Wisconsin right now is at a minimal to low level of influenza. It's still out there, but it's lower than it was just a couple months ago. Every week, uh, the CDC updates these maps, which can be helpful guides to people uh, who need to know uh, the relative risk and how to be safe. There seems to be a connection, like the warmer areas, the south, Um, their influenza levels are higher? (laughs) Is it because people are more likely to, I don't know, maybe we don't want to speculate here why they're higher. 
Yeah, it tends to go in patterns and waves. We saw yeah. that with COVID, we see with influenza and RSV. Um, and so monitoring at the local, state, and national levels, and even seeing what's going on in other countries is important for us to anticipate what might be coming our way. Mm -hmm. Now, this is interesting because you were the co-investigator of the Fight COVID Milwaukee project, right? Yes. So can you tell us about your involvement with Fight COVID Milwaukee and some of the findings and implications that you discovered through that pilot or through sure, that? Reina. Yeah, I'm honored to serve as the a co-principal investigator of the Fight COVID Milwaukee project. It's supported by the National Institutes of Health with funding to the Medical College of Wisconsin Clinical Translational Science Institute, and also collaborators at Northwestern University. And we were just thrilled to work with the faith community, community-based organizations, uh, healthcare systems, in enrolling people in a study of COVID testing. Um, about a hundred sites around the country did mostly COVID viral testing, the kind of testing where a swab is put in your nose or throat to find out if you've got the infection present. We instead wanted to look at antibodies, little tiny microscopic proteins in our blood and circulating throughout our body that help us to fight the COVID infection. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to know if people had been exposed to the infection and maybe didn't know, they produced antibodies to it. We wanted to know if they had antibodies in response to vaccines. And folks who might have immunosuppressed conditions like cancer um, or taking uh, medications for um, chronic immune conditions, you know, those folks might not respond as well to the vaccines. So we were fortunate to have 3,000 adults in Milwaukee County really diverse from black, indigenous, people of color uh, to white folks and older folks enroll in our study. Mm -hmm. And uh, about 90% had received the vaccine against COVID. So we really attracted people who had that kind of level of protection early on. And then we monitored. Uh, four months later, half the people would get a repeat antibody test. And we could see over time the level of exposure that people had to COVID in our community. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm curious to know, um, when you had people of color, um, Black, Indigenous, people of color, um, I think you mentioned that they're twice as likely to die from COVID as white people, I think, when, when we were talking before. Can you share just a little bit more of why that may be or why that that's reflected in the study? Yeah, we uh, were interested in looking at racial ethnic disparities with respect to COVID. And as you mentioned, on a national level, uh, people of color were twice as likely to get COVID, uh, to be hospitalized and to die from it. And race ethnicity is a social construct. It's not a biologic construct. So it means there are social behavioral reasons why people are more vulnerable and having these disparities in health outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, what we did is look not only at the patterns of COVID in Milwaukee in the US uh, by race, ethnicity, age, gender, and other characteristics. We also looked at other causes of death for those populations. We had vital records, death records from the states of Wisconsin, Indiana, and Illinois. 
And what we observed, if we adjusted for people's natural causes of death, and the Hispanic Latino community actually tends to live a little bit longer than black and white folks in uh, uh, the US and the Midwest, Hispanic adults locally uh, and also across the US had higher death rates at younger ages than are generally appreciated. So that was a unique finding of our research and we have submitted our learnings to uh, peer-reviewed journals for publication. Oh, wow. This is this is really putting Milwaukee and the Midwest on the map, huh? <laughs> so uh, as, as you talked about before, people traveling and COVID has effect, infected 80% of China's population. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, with China lifting travel restrictions despite surging COVID cases, what impact do you think it'll have on U.S. and other nations? Yeah, um, China has experienced a surge in COVID infections and deaths across the country since a, a strict zero COVID policy was lifted in December in China. And more than a dozen countries, including the United States, have established travel restrictions. In late December, the CDC announced a, a negative COVID test requirement, uh, no more than two days before flying from air passengers who enter the US from China or Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And so I do wanna acknowledge that we do have some um, questions in the chat that we'll get to in just a second here. But um, to that point, what are some signs or symptoms for people to look out for? Uh, the signs and symptoms of COVID, influenza, respiratory viruses that are seasonal, um, are ones that I mentioned earlier. Uh, runny nose, congestion, sneezing, sore throat, fever, fatigue, muscle aches. Um, and the latest variant that we have, the Omicron variant XBB 1.5, same kind of symptoms that we've seen with earlier Omicron versions uh, in the spring of last year. Loss of taste or smell and shortness of breath are less common. But of course, if people feel short of breath, that's an urgent problem that needs prompt medical attention. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the newest variant that we're experiencing is very contagious, maybe five times higher than the Omicron variant that we were dealing with in the spring of last year. Right. So wearing a mask, avoiding crowded rooms can reduce people's exposure. And if they're at greater risk of getting a serious sickness from it, it's probably good to be careful, even when it's medium level risk uh, in our local community. Wow. I mean, I'm still stuck on the um, XBB.1.5 XYZ, not not to make light of it, but I mean, we gone, we went from um, Delta to Omicron to now a calculation. And, and I do want to turn to one of our, uh, the questions from our audience. One of the, one of our guests asked, um, where can patients suffering from long COVID symptoms find help in the Milwaukee area? Yeah, long COVID is an extremely frustrating condition. It was one of the questions when we surveyed our 3,000 participants, 10% reported they had persistent symptoms for more than three months. Uh, that might be respiratory, like feeling a little short of breath mm -hmm. uh, or a persistent cough. For others, it was feeling depressed or anxious. Um, and still others, it might be um, fatigue or trouble sleeping really frustrating condition, a real condition. There's a lot of research going on to clearly define the characteristics of long COVID 
and also quite importantly to come up with effective treatments. Mm -hmm. So the best place to start when you have a, a condition uh, of uncertainty is your primary care pro provider, the, your medical home, family doctor, internist, pediatrician, uh, and then they might refer you to an expert. Um, at Freighter in the Medical College of Wisconsin, our um, pulmonary uh, physicians, pulmonary medicine experts, um, have a long COVID uh, area of expertise and interest, and that might be a place you would consider going for an evaluation and advice. So as you're referring to people to a pulmonary physician, what level, what, what is their expertise for our audience? What is a pulmonary physician? Uh, pulmonary doctors specialize in diseases and conditions that affect uh, our lungs and our breathing. Mm -hmm. And so because COVID uh, has had such serious problems of acute respiratory symptoms, mm -hmm. uh, people ending up in the critical care unit and needing uh, major support. They've been the, they've been physicians who particularly have uh, had a special interest. But of course, it, COVID uh, uh, has been treated by folks in primary care, emergency medicine, hospitalists, critical care units, cardiologists, and other complications. So many specialists have had to play important roles in taking care of people with COVID, and those are teams. Physicians, nurses, pharmacists, uh, lab techs, respiratory therapists takes a team to take care of people uh, with these complex conditions. So, Dr. Moore, it sounds like if you're feeling sick, um, that you possibly could have COVID, influenza, RSV, very similar symptoms. So, if, if people are feeling sick, <laughs> you know, my grandmother used to tell me, girl, you just need to sweat it out. <laughs> Don't just sweat it out. There are probably things, actions you should take. What would you recommend people do? Yeah, you know, because COVID is still around, if you're sick with viral respiratory symptoms like we've been discussing, do a COVID home test. You know, a clinic or an urgent care can also do more sensitive COVID tests as well as tests for influenza or RSV if that's needed in the judgment of the, the caring provider. Of course, if you feel short of breath, uh, seek emergency medical care. And if you're in a higher risk group based on age or chronic conditions for getting a severe illness, you'll contact your primary care provider as soon as possible to consider treatment with uh, Paxlovid, which is uh, the antiviral pill that's effective against COVID, especially if you get it uh, within two or three days of onset of symptoms. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a big push for vaccinations, and there's been a lot of talk around vaccinations. But I think in our prior conversations, it's critical to, critical to really paint the picture of why it's so important that we do get vaccinations and how they're effective. Thanks, Raina. Yeah, COVID vaccines are very safe and effective at reducing the risk of hospitalizations and death. So they're not real good at preventing spreading it. But once you get it, it teaches your body how to quickly respond. Mm -hmm. Response can be a really important differentiator in whether you end up in the hospital or not. 70% of people in our country have received an initial COVID vaccine. Um, especially folks who are older have been more likely to take it up but fewer than 20% have gotten the most recent bivalent booster available this past fall and, and continue to be available now. And getting booster doses is more effective than getting a single dose. 
The COVID vaccine, some uh, assess, has prevented 3 million deaths. If we assumed a trajectory of illness similar to what we had in 2020, and the bivalent vaccine that was available this fall protects against both the original coronavirus, 2019-2020, as well as that BA5 Omicron variant that came out the spring of 2022. Mm -hmm. One other thing I should mention, because we're talking about seasonal respiratory and influenzas, there's a quadrivalent influenza vaccine. And it's a really good match with the circulating strains this year. We try to anticipate several months in advance from places like Australia, what might emerge in uh, the Northern Hemisphere, and then have the right vaccine available for the fall. So the predictions by the scientific experts, public health experts, were pretty good. And so influenza is good at reducing the risk of serious illness. And it's a quadrivalent vaccine. Quadrivalent, yeah. Quadrivalent, yes. Yeah, four well, particular I'm variants. Yes. Okay. So Dr. Moyer, uh, do you mind if we take some more questions from our audience here? Sure. Bring them on. Okay. So one question is, what's the best way for parents to keep their children healthy during these worse than usual seasons for respiratory illness? So how can parents keep their children healthy? Yeah. Uh, keeping your child healthy is just uh, one of the most rewarding parts of being a parent. And so, you know, some of the, the, the basics of eating healthy diets, exercising, good, getting good sleep, uh, supporting them with positive messaging so they build self-esteem, all those things are really important to well-being and child development. Um, and so we think about health as mind, body, and spirit. So what can you do to support all of those aspects of uh, developing child and with respect to the seasonal respiratory infections, being a good role model. Uh, you know, when you happen to get an infection, coughing or sneezing in your yeah, sleeve, mm -hmm. washing your hands, incredibly effective at preventing the spread. If there's a vulnerable person around, wearing a mask, uh, being safe about the places that you might go that could be potentially at risk, and, you know, seriously considering the vaccines for COVID and influenza, the uptake among children is much lower than uh, among adults. And yet uh, COVID tragically is the number one cause of death among kids who are, you know, around age one, two adolescents. Oh, wow. You know, that's interesting that you, you talk about healthy eating, which I'm a huge proponent of in physical activity. So winter sports, this next connection, this next question is what connection is there, if any, between being outdoors in the cold and actually catching a cold? So being outdoors reduces your risk of exposure because of great ventilation, those respiratory droplets spread. But if it's really super cold, that can have a very mild depressing effect on our immune response. And so, uh, you know, the, uh, the adage that, you know, wear a jacket, stay warm when you're going outside, you might catch a cold, has some truth to it. Understood. So, and with that, I want to thank you, Dr. Moyer, for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule and, and really taking talking to us about the importance of protecting ourselves. Raina, it's been a great honor. You know, yeah. Take-home message is uh, get your COVID and influenza vaccine if you haven't already. They're safe and reliable. 
and uh, use reliable sources of information like uh, MCW Coffee Conversations with Scientists. Honored to be with you all. Thank you. And for those listening, if you didn't get your questions answered, feel free to send me a note to conversations at mcw.edu. Folks, I hope you all really enjoyed our show. We look forward to seeing you next month for a virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist. Have a great day. Thank you, Rena. The Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists is sponsored by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment. Coffee Conversations with Scientists occur monthly as Facebook Live events and are produced by the Medical College of Wisconsin. We hope you join us next month for another virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist.